All right. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Vintage 242. I'm Steve Hambrick, and I'm glad that you're here. Just a couple of quick things real quick. Uh, Brandon uh, produced an album nine months ago, I learned, in the first service. I said a year, and he goes, no, no, nine months. Corrected me. And, um, and so, anyway, about nine months ago, and, and uh, yeah, CD is actually out there um, for, for, for your investment. I say investment because of this. It's an album basically 100% of the proceeds that you give towards it. So basically it's a, it's a free album with a donation, okay? And the donation is specifically going towards a, a ministry uh, that their whole family is engaged with. It's just a, a ministry that they've connected with in, in Nairobi, in Kenya. And, uh, and so there's just a, there's an investment that's really of their heart. We actually met the other day and just kind of talked through what God was doing in them for future. And so if you talk to them long enough and you'll find as you kind of begin to poke and prod, Kenya comes out. And uh, so this album produced the purpose that anything that you give towards it will go towards these children who are living in the slums, specifically towards a feeding program for children in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya. And so I encourage you today, even if you don't like his music at all, at least dump some money off into the box up there, right? So it doesn't really matter. He doesn't care if you don't like him or not. He just wants money to go towards Kenyan. So it'd be good. You can make that happen, and I'd be greatly appreciative. So, well, hey, listen, just uh, follow up from last week. You know, last year I introduced you to our new family members, uh, Molly and Dylan Fila, who were living in Bangalore, India. You know, last week we, we spent some time just kind of talking, listening to their story, and then we sat down through the, there you go, Molly and Dylan Fila. Then we, then we took time last week and finished up in Philippians, and we looked through Philippians, and we, we kind of named this heart of Paul where he kind of basically fleshed out the end of Philippians, Jesus' words of seek first the kingdom of God, and everything that you need in life will be given to you, right? Jesus said, listen, hey, you can only have one master. Either you love money, either money's your master or God's your master. You can't have both. And the idea he's simply saying is, listen, it's important in your life that you recognize God has to be your master. And that if money's your master or stuff or things of this, this earth, he said, then worry and fear and anxiety will be the fruit of your life. But if God, and this is what uh, Paul fleshed out, he said, listen, I've learned the secret of being content in all things and in every situation, it's really simple. It's making God my master. He's first, and everything that I do is for him, right? So I talked about last week, and it's this reality then within our lives, that in everything that we do, we're called to put God first, to love God with our heart, soul, and mind, and then to express that by loving our neighbor. And we said that in Philippians, Paul pictured this as the Philippians church giving financially to his needs. And he said, listen, I rejoice that you give it to me. What I rejoice even more so is that you've done this as an act of obedience to God. It says that God himself in heaven rejoices, right? It's a sweet aroma to him. Go back and read Philippians chapter 4 and see it. It's a sweet aroma to him, your sacrifice. So what we talked about last week then is that in, in our lives, that all that we do in giving of our time, which is a massive issue in our culture, right? Giving of time giving of our resources, giving of our energies, and then giving of our money is an act of obedience and an expression of our love for God, right? So when we, whatever we give, then it's really an, it's an, for an audience of one done for him. Yes, it's a blessing to other people, but ultimately it's a, a blessing that we have expressing our love to Jesus, right? And, then, and from that, you know, God moves and it's great. And we said last week that God then responds to the act of love by meeting all of our needs according to his riches in heaven. 
And so last week we said, so what we're going to do is this. We're giving an opportunity to express your love for Jesus by helping Molly and Dylan Fila, who had these specific needs in India. And so we said we put the basket up here, and you came forward. And I want you to know last week, over $6,000 was given in the offering last week. Now, what that means is this. Their needs, if you worked it all the way out to the year, at most was $5,000, which means that there are dreams of God yet to be realized for them that can now be birthed because of what we've done in love for Jesus. You see what I'm getting at, right? There are dreams of God they don't even know about, but that God knows about. He's already provided financially for Right. That's what happens when we as the people of God are faithful with our time and our energy and our resources and our money. Right. I don't sit up here and beat you over the head and say, hey, give me money and God's going to give you a brand new car. I don't do that. I simply say this. You be obedient to God, which means that you love God, which means that you give sacrificially. Right. Whether it's to vintage or elsewhere. Right. You're giving because you love God for an audience of one. And the truth is that as we do this, Scripture told us, God is faithful to meet all of our needs. He doesn't give us what we want. He meets all of our needs. That's a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness to us. And so last week when we, we, we gave, and I, I called, and I Skyped an instant message to them this week and said, hey, we took an offering for you. They're like, oh, wow, thanks. I said, I said you want to hear how much, we, how much was given? Yeah, drum roll, da da da, da right, over through, all, through the Internet, drum roll. $6,000. And they just sat there. One of those things, they kept on like writing sentences, like to try to express their joy, their excitement. Like, they go, like, this is amazing. This is awesome. This is so cool. You know, this kept on going on. They didn't know how to get it out. I said, I know. I got to roll. See you. Bye. Right. But this is an exciting thing because I just, they're going to keep on going all day. Right. No, I'm just kidding. It was a wonderful, exciting thing just to see just how God's going to move in his kingdom work there, even do things that they don't even know about yet that's already provided for. So do you see how that expression works of us being obedient to God and it just releases things in the kingdom? It's a beautiful picture. All right. So, so it's an exciting thing. So thank you all for giving. But the great thing about that is it's really for an audience of one and, and it's a sweet aroma before God and he's pleased with your sacrifice. All right. So hey, let's do this. Let's take our baskets and pass them back down this morning for our tithes and our offerings. If you feel like a connect card, this will be the time to put that card back in the basket. So I can shoot you an email this week. Again, this is a remembering, and I swapped this out to a lot of people this year, that all the things that we give at Vintage, right, we're immediately investing them into the kingdom work as we see God leading us here at Vintage. And so I would like to say, you may not believe me, but I would like to say, and I believe it's true, that everything that you give is ultimately for the kingdom work that God is doing in and through Vintage. And uh, so thank you for all your investment into the life of Vintage financially. All right. Hey, listen, let's, um, let's jump in this morning. We, we ended Philippians. Doesn't mean you don't ever have to read it again, right? Always return back to Philippians. It's a great book. And I think it's one of those things that you always read, and hear me on this, you always read Philippians to see how God responds to a mature people. Okay? We said before in Philippians that Philippians was, he called them partners in ministry. It's the only letter of Paul that he calls them partners. Everybody else he calls them friends. He calls them like children, right? But he calls them partners, this level of equality, solidarity with the Philippian church, which means that, that he's speaking to them as ones who are mature and walking in deeper things of God. And so Philippians is a great way as we read that, it's almost as in a, to read it as a, a book of those who are mature to see kind of how we're doing in our own walk with Jesus. And I encourage you to continue reading that on a regular basis. 
because it's a profound book. All right. What I want to do for the next several weeks, and I mentioned it, I think, last week, is I want to begin talking about the power of God. Talking about the power of God, okay? Begin talking about the power of God, specifically first, as, we, as we've seen in the life of Jesus and ultimately the life of the believer. And I want to begin by saying this. My beginning thought, kind of the foundation for the morning and where we're going is this. God wants to do things in us. God wants to do things through us. That's the foundation this morning. God wants to do things in your lives. He wants to move. He wants freedom. He wants breakthrough. He wants release. He wants, he wants to move in your life. God wants to move through you also. He wants to bring things through you to those that are in need all around us every day, right? Scripture is clear again and again and again that we are called, that we are empowered, and we're sent by God to, to be a people who call other people out who don't know him, right? But again and again in Scripture, we say, hey, you're to be a blessing to the nations. I'm calling you to go to all the nations. There's this call again and again and again in Scripture in, in our lives, specifically because we're here today, in our lives for God to move in us and then God for it to move through us to a people who are in need today. And I would say that it's very clear again and again and again in Scripture that in our own strength, we can do nothing of eternal value. In our own strength, in our own power, that we can do nothing of eternal value. Therefore, when we stand here or sit here this morning, what we're getting at is this, that we are desperately in need. If we're going to move in power, we have to recognize that we need the power of God moving in our lives. We see it in the Old Testament. Again, all the way, Genesis, chapter 1 and 2, things are great, right? And all of a sudden, boom, sin happens. Adam and Eve are taken out of the Garden of Eden. And then we see basically from Genesis 3 all the way up to Jesus, the people of God continually failing again and again and again, trying in their own strength to to live a holy life and failing miserably, right? Men and women of God doing things and all of a sudden failing over here. It's this continual process of, of trying hard and never being able to do it. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes onto the scene. Jesus comes onto the scene, and what does Jesus do? And I want you to hear this very clearly. Jesus came and lived a human life. Jesus came and lived a human life perfectly. And the only thing, well, there's lots of things probably, but one thing, the primary thing that separated Jesus from every other human being was one was this primary thing. He, from the time of birth, was empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the, that's the primary thing that separated Jesus. He was a human being who was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was a human being. So many of us would say, we, say, we need to do what Jesus did. And you, and you say back, well, I can't do that because Jesus was God. That's 
That's true, but Jesus put that divinity aside for his season on earth and became a human being with limitations of humanity and said, I want to model for you now the second Adam. He called it, that's the name of but Paul gives him the second Adam, the second human being, the human being who lives the perfect life, modeling for you what a person in power of the Holy Spirit can look like. And so what I'm telling you is this. You, don't, you no longer have a cop-out. Well, Jesus was the Son of God. No, Jesus was, but he limited himself, putting aside the divinity to take on humanity so that he could then model for us what a human being can look like if they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you've ever read your Bible, you know that every single believer is now full with the Holy Spirit. That's what we read over there in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He says, Paul, you see Peter speaking, he says, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so what we find then is this expectation then of, of Jesus, that power is manifest in his life. We see it again and again. This one I'm going to go through a whole bunch of scriptures, so Eddie's going to be back there. His finger's going to be tired at the end of the day, right? I just jumped all the way to the end, Eddie. Did you like that, buddy? Went all the way to the end. Perfect. Good job. So anyway, so I'm going to run through all of these. These, 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 these expressions of the power of Jesus manifest in his life here in the New Testament. Mark chapter 5, verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And there's a story, the woman with the issue of blood, some sort of something going on with the menstruation cycle, and she's literally unclean. She can't enter into the house of God. She can't relate to God. She's out here. She wants to be clean. She's probably been crying out and praying. And she sees Jesus and she says, I don't need to see his face. I don't need to talk to him. I don't need to touch him. I just need to touch some article of his clothing and healing will come to me. And so she comes up. You've probably seen movies, whatever. She comes up and touches and Jesus goes, hey, power went out from me. This is the power move. That's it right there, right? That's what we do all morning. Power went out from Jesus, okay? Power went out and goes, hey, something just happened over here. What's going on? Who touched me? And the disciples, what do they say? Jesus, there are lots of people touching you. There's a whole crowd of people getting on around you. And he goes, but somebody really touched me, right? Somebody really touched me. And the woman goes, it's me. Power being released from Jesus in this moment for healing. You see in Luke chapter 6, verse 19, all the people were trying to touch him for power was coming from him and healing them all. I mean, that's amazing. People were around him. The power was coming forth from him and healing all of them. That's just, that's amazing, right? We love this. This is unbelievably powerful and amazing. Matthew chapter 13, verse 54. He came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get his wisdom and these miraculous powers? They're looking and goes, isn't this Jesus? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Did he just make me a chair last month? What did he, well, where did he all of a sudden get this? Right? Where did all of a sudden did he get this? Uh, I mean, he, ha- he has, remember, we read before, it says, he speaks as one who has authority. He, they were comparing him 
to the teachers of the law, the ones who took their Bible, their old, their new, old covenant, right? This, this Old Testament, as we call it. And they could literally, they had the whole thing memorized. And, and, and they're seemingly amazing. And also they look at Jesus and they said, oh my gosh, you, where did you come with this wisdom? Last week you didn't know anything, seemingly, right? And now you come with one who, who has power, who has power, who has wisdom. This power and wisdom from God, the, this power of God coursing through Jesus, through the person of the Holy Spirit. See, that's where the wisdom and the authority and the power came from. It's simple. Jesus was a human being just like you and me who put aside his divinity to take on humanity, to take on flesh, and to be empowered by the Spirit of God to model then for us what our lives can look like as ones empowered by his Holy Spirit. We see the, this foreshadowing of this. as a situational release of God's anointing in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, when it says, When Jesus had called the twelve together... He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So Jesus is expressing in the power of this Holy Spirit and then releasing the situational, right? Hey, take this for the moment. Go out and do what I've been doing. Proclaim the, the good news of the kingdom. Go and, and they, it says they came back. I mean, remember, remember the, remember, do you remember reading that later on? I think it's in Luke chapter 11 or 10. It says, and they all came back amazed and said, even the demons submit to us in your name. And that's when Jesus says, hey, don't celebrate that, but instead celebrate that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, right? That's amazing, but what's most amazing is the miracle, the power of being in relationship with the living God. We see this power released in the lives of, of Jesus. In Jesus, we see it released in the lives of his disciples. We see this power being released, right? This power over uh, the, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? This, we see this thing that Jesus now wants to do, right? He wants to then do this next move, which is to take this spirit and give it to his people forever. It says, now for those of you who are not following me and walking with me in relationship with me, I want to give you my spirit. So in turn, as a human being, you can live the life that I modeled for you as one who was living with the power of the Holy Spirit in you. So we begin to see this. We see in the in the book of Acts, the first thing we see is Pentecost has happened. If you remember Pentecost, right? They're all waiting together. We're going to look at it a little deeper in a moment, but they're all waiting together. And all says, all of a sudden, this fire came, descended on them like tongues like fire. They begin to speak in other tongues, right? Just like kind of freaky. What's happening right here, right? But being this thing to proclaim boldly this this truth of God. People people have this gift of interpretation. Outside the four walls, says, we hear them in our own language, right? This powerful thing. And then what happens? The power of God now coursing through Peter. And it says he stands up and proclaims the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, right? And all of a sudden, with power and authority, he proclaims the message. It says 3,000 people gave their, 3,000, excuse me, 3,000 men gave their lives to Jesus that day. 3,000 men gave their lives to Jesus in the moment. 
This is the power of the Holy Spirit giving utterance to his mouth to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Power to speak. We go on in Acts chapter 5, verse 12 through 16. It says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders. That means power, okay? It's the same word. Among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Basically, it's just an area inside the temple they would hang out. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men, and now they had women, believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Because let's say crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. God, don't you love that picture? Just the power of God being released for those who are in need. We see, and we see this expression for those after Jesus has ascended into heaven, and now his disciples, his followers, are now living their life and looking like Jesus. We see going on in Acts chapter 3, remember, we see uh, Peter and John, they're now walking. They've had this whole moment, uh, being filled with the Spirit, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, 3,000 people coming. They were walking one day, and as they walk, they walk by the gate beautiful, right? It's this entrance into some part of the, of the area that they're in, right? And, they, and, and there's a guy there, and, he's, and everybody knows him. He's been, he's been there probably all of his life, right? Maybe since the moment his parents kicked him out because he was unclean, because he was wounded and hurt, right? And so every day he would sit there. And remember where Peter, Peter and John look and say, hey, silver and none, excuse me, silver and gold we do not have. But what we do have, we give to you. Get up, take your mat, and go home. Right? We give you healing. We give you release. And so they come up and they, and they do that. And here's the thing. Everybody knew him. I mean, some of the people who were standing there, every Friday they would come by and give him something to, give him something to eat. Right? They had a sensitive heart and a compassionate heart, and they wanted to help the needy person. So he said, hey, we'll help you. Here's something to eat. Here's some, here's some change that I have left over in my pocket for you, right? And all of a sudden, they see Peter and John come over. And all of a sudden, they look, and, they, and they're, they're probably over here looking over here. All of a sudden, here's, whoo! And they look over, and dude they give money to is jumping up and down, shouting for joy. And they said, oh, we're amazed. Amazing, right? Amazing. This is overwhelming, overwhelming. And then in Acts chapter 3, verse 12, it says, when Peter saw their expressive amazement, okay, when he saw their amazement, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety or religiosity that we had made him walk? Why are you amazed at this? Why are you even looking at us? It has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with John. Why do you sit amazed? It is simply the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of God coursing through us. You see, the reality for the disciples of Jesus was that they were to become conduits. Conduits of the power of God. What's a conduit? Really simple. It's an orange extension cord. 
That's what a conduit is, right? If you take your, if you take your extension cord, you feel completely safe asking your children to carry it over and bring it to you, right? Because there's no power coursing through the electrical cord separated from a power source, right? It's completely safe. It's completely useless. Until all of a sudden you take it and you plug it into a power source and now you can vacuum out your core. Right? Because the orange cord has become a conduit through which the power of electricity flows through and now powers your vacuum cleaner and you can go vacuum. Praise God. And Peter's simply looking at the moment saying, I'm simply an orange extension cord completely useless apart from being plugged into the source. But when I am plugged into the source, everything changes. The power of God moving. Power is taken from the Greek word dunamis. It's actually, actually in Greek is D-Y-N. That's actually the word we get dynamic and get dynamite from, right? They didn't have gunpowder back in the day, so don't link the two, okay? But it's still kind of where we get this word, this dunamis. It's, it represents power and strength and, and authority. And throughout Scripture, whenever you see this some sort of miracle happening, and using the word power, authority, talk about some sort of miracle or working of God, it, it strictly means dunamis, this power of God being released, right? This miracle-working power, this authority of, of, of God and, and moving in situations, right? It represents dunamis, this power of God being released, right? Whenever we see supernatural works in Scripture, its reference is dunamis. And the expectation then of Jesus was that his disciples would wait for dunamis because he recognizes they are useless apart from the power of God being released into their life. That apart from Jesus moving, the, moving in them, apart from the Holy Spirit moving through them, their life is useless. And so he says, listen, I don't want your life to be useless. Wait. For the promise. That's why I read in Luke chapter 24, 49, it says, Hey, looking to the talking to the disciples, I, Jesus, am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power on high. Power from on high. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. I'm going to send you a gift. And I want you to wait until you receive it. We go on in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Very familiar to us. But you will receive, remember this is Jesus, Jesus' last words, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. See, Jesus had an explanation, had an expectation, excuse me, an expectation of power in his own life. Listen, and he has an expectation of power moving in your life also. He expects you to be plugged into the power source and allowing his power, his dunamis power, it hasn't gone anywhere to be fleshed out and flowing through you like the orange extension cord and plugging into everyone who's in need of power in life. It's the orange cord. That's what you represent. The expectation. He had, the, he had, the, he made, he, he had this power. He expects us to have this power also. So this morning, this morning, God wants to move in us. Simply put, he wants to move in us and he wants to move 
through us. He wants to move in power in our lives as expressed like it was in his life, like it was expressed in the disciples that followed him. But let me say this. I'm laying this all out there simply to make a real simple point. Power is, I mean, God is full of power. We're full of God or God's full of us, however how you want to look at that. His power is still present. We need to be moving and fleshing it out in our lives. His dunamis power, if we were an extension cord, we should be like a conduit flowing through. God wants to do things in us. Powerful things. He wants to do powerful things through us. But here's the grid that you have to create. It is the foundation upon which everything else is birthed from in his power. Before we dive into anything else about God's power, we have to come back to the centralized point first that that everything else is launched from. And you have to hear it this morning. You have to hear it this morning. Peter. We read in chapter 3 and chapter 5, what does he have? He has crowds of people who were following him. Miracles, crazy things are being done by him. Crazy gospel message salvation is happening, right? He speaks and people say, oh, right? Peter has this amazing thing going on out of his life, right? That's the power grid, right? Happening. And it's amazing. And every single one of us look at this and says, oh, I want that. I want that. I want to see. I want to move in that power. I want to see those things. I want miracles to follow my life. I want those to come out of me. I'm looking for that. I'm praying for it. I'm believing for it. God, I want to see. I want to see my whole office come to Christ in a moment, right? I want to just see. I want to pray for the sick and see them healed. I want to. I want to walk up to a coffin and put my hand in there and see a dead person get up, right? I want to see all the things that Jesus did. I want all of those things. But I want us to have an understanding of the foundation from which all that is birthed, expressed in the life of Peter. And we've already named it. He looks back as people are looking at him in amazement. Did you see what he did? This is a pedestal creating moment. You know what I mean? Oh, pedestal. Right. Doing this right now for Peter. They're looking at him, and some people over here who had this idea of reincarnation are going, oh, I think it's Jesus reincarnated. Oh, this is amazing. And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold the horses. Why do you, looking back at Acts, whatever it was, three, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us if it's by our own power or our own religious energy, piety? That we made him walk. Verse 16. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Peter looks in the moment of amazement, thinking, he's like, he sings the song, I've got the power, right? He's just sitting there in the moment doing his thing, right? That's kind of on key, wasn't it? Ran it pretty high, I think. Right? So he had that Bruce Almighty type moment. You've seen that movie, right? He's this whole thing going on. He's got the power. He's going, yeah. And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. That power has nothing to do with me. He's very clear. That power has nothing to do with me. What we begin to find here is this. The grid, the lens from which power must be birthed and come. Listen, 
It's this ugly word called humility. It's that ugly, just difficult, like, oh, he used the H word, humility, right? Because he's coming and point saying it's not, stop, Whoop, Jesus, move over here. It's Jesus. It has nothing to do with him. In fact, I sit here in amazement just like you because power came from him and not me. It's not me as the source. He is the source. We must embrace this humility of recognizing, listen, power is simply a gift. Power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, it is a gift. It's something that is not earned. It is something that is not purchased. It's something that you can't demand. And it's not even something that you can give away to others. It is a gift of God through the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit given for the work of God in our lives. The Holy Spirit, right? It's something that's in you. It's, it's moving through you. It's from God. It's given for the work of God in our lives. Peter names it, right? He looks back at them and says, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's by his name. It's by faith in him. It's all about him. Power comes from the source of Jesus. It's all about him. Stop looking at me. I don't have the power. He has the power. I'm just a conduit. As we come to this moment, we have to recognize that Peter recognized that anything good that happens in his life has nothing to do with him, but it's Jesus. That is the essence, and listen to this, that is the essence of true humility. And hear this, it's hard to get. The essence of true humility is the understanding that I am poor, I am naked and I am desperate apart from the movement of Jesus in my life. Humility, humility, the understanding that I am poor and naked and desperate apart from being plugged into the source of Jesus. I have nothing apart from Jesus. I live dependent on him for all things in my life. I have one master and I will seek first the kingdom of God and make everything about him and then everything else will be added to me as needed. It's not about my strength and my energy, my pursuit. It's not about me making things happen. It's not about me hearing God and then going out and trying to make it happen in my own strength. It's me living every day naked and desperate for him. So my question for us this morning is simply this. Have you spent more time praying for power and the power of God or pursuing a humility before him? Do you spend more time looking for and asking for power or giving your life to desperation and neediness of pursuit of giving yourself in humility to Jesus? For I live convicted that power is truly only going to be released in us, in those who are walking in the humility of dependence on God, recognizing like Peter that anything that we have or anything good that proceeds from us has nothing to do with us and our willpower and our strength, 
but with Jesus. We must pursue humility and then allow God to pour out power. Francis Frangipan names it clearly. Says, he says the idea of power is that God gives grace to the humble, those who come desperate and needy. God gives grace, the blessing, the power of God, but he opposes the proud who think they can make things happen in their own strength, who can will something to happen, who can maneuver something to happen, who try to make all this stuff happen. God opposes the proud, but gives grace, his power, his anointing, his release to those who come in this grid of humility and say, I'm desperate before you. You're my master. I find contentment in my times of neediness and my times of plenty only from you. Jesus, I'm plugged into you. And as we give ourselves to humility, then God does what he will through us. And it looks akin to what we see Jesus doing. I always think it's funny walking to churches who say, do what Jesus did, and then cut out a huge chunk of what he did. You know what I'm getting at. They take a huge chunk and say, well, that doesn't, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen anymore. Really? But I can't do what he did then. Fullness of what Jesus names. So for me, I'm going to leave you this story. Story when I was in India about four years ago. Uh, and I think I've shared the story, so if I've said it before, forgive me, but I think it, it puts into context of what I ultimately believe God is doing in this season at Vintage, okay? Four years ago, I'm jet-lagging real bad, and I have, and I wake up at 2 a.m., and I feel this weight, and I start talking to God about it, and he has this long, freeing, like, powerful, like, one of those, like, Bible moments of God's power being released, only happened like one other time in my life of God speaking identity. It was a Kairos moment, which simply means it was a time of God moving that I have no idea how long it lasted. And God, I'm asking questions to God, and he immediately responds. That's not normal for me, okay? If it is for you, praise God, not for me. And so I'm sitting there, and he's answering immediately. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I'm like weeping, and I'm like, oh, I'm so undone. And God's speaking and pouring, ripping things out, just doing what you read about him doing, setting people free. Right? It's a powerful, powerful moment. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm laying in this bed, and Randall's like, ah, the store next to me, right, and doing her thing asleep. And I'm sitting there laying there, and I'm having this dialogue back and forth with God, and, and it's just powerful, powerful, powerful. I can't say enough, and it doesn't make any sense. But anyway, so, so I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, do you know how sometimes when you start to fall asleep, and you don't know you fell asleep until you wake back up? You ever have those moments, right? Because you know, you're just like, you just go straight into sleep thinking with your mind, and you go straight into a dream. Well, I went straight into a dream, all right? And this dream, again, straight from God. And I'm sitting there in my dream, and I kind of come to, and, I, and I'm like, in my dream, and, and, and I see this person, and I hear this voice, spirit of fear. And so I lay hands on this person, and I say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of fear. And all of a sudden, I, I feel like, Wee! and I see something depart from this person's body. I went, oh, this is awesome, right? And I'm undone. I'm filled with, like, I, like I just had this extreme excitement. Like, this is so good. And I'm filled with joy. And I'm like, oh, this is so great. But the, and so then I keep on going on my dream. And so I walk up to someone who's a lame person. I lay hands on them, and they're immediately healed. And I, and I go, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, right? And I had this, this dichotomy going on in my dream of I'm extremely joy-filled and happy, right? I mean, it's like the, the fullest expression you could ever imagine. I'm experiencing it. And I'm like, oh, this is so great, right? And I, every single person I lay hands on, 
They're healed. Every single person who is oppressed by an evil spirit is immediately set free. And I'm like, this is amazing. But the flip side of this, and this is the part, the flip side of it, is as long as I'm, I'm excited, and I'm joy-filled, and I'm happy, like, all right. But at the same time, I'm weeping. I'm weeping because I can't believe this is happening through me. I'm sitting there going, but don't you know who I am? At the same, but I had this, so this unbelievable humility of recognizing the moment. This has nothing to do with me. It's like I was having like an out-of-body experience in complete reality of the moment. This bizarre thing going on in my dream of like, I'm, I'm overly, overwhelmingly confident in Jesus. I'm overwhelmingly humble before him of recognizing I'm completely naked and, naked and desperate. Everything I have is because of him. And I'm kind of over here in this third party going, I can't believe this is happening in the first place, right? This unbelievable movement of God. In my dream. And it leads to a, another part, which I've talked about in the past, which I'm not going to go into now, which I think is about the future. But anyway, with this whole dynamic, and, and I'm just undone, and I'll wake up. Listen, all my life, I've had about, about every other year, I have dreams that are from God, prophetically speaking into the future. You think that's crazy? I apologize. I could sit down and tell you this thing by thing. It's amazing, right? This is one of those moments for me. God saying, I'm not just showing you something just to show you. It's not just a dream. It's reality of what I want to do in my people who are plugged into the conduit. Steve, this is your destiny. And I was undone. But what I noticed in the moment was that power was coupled with humility. Humility gives, doesn't give birth. Humility allows God to pour himself out. He gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. In your life, all I'm getting at is simply this this morning. If you say you're a believer, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, then the Holy Spirit is present in your life. You now become a conduit through which the Holy Spirit moves in power to flesh out the model that Jesus modeled for us of a human being living, empowered by the Holy Spirit, doing what Adam couldn't do and didn't do, what Jesus then lived out and then expects his believers, his, his followers to live out. This is God's call, but you have to come to this point of saying, God, I'm giving myself to humility. I'm giving myself, and I would say this, I would say this about humility. How do you get humility? That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? How do I look at, how do I sit up here and say, I'm the most humble man who ever lived? That's what Moses said about himself. Moses was the most humble man who lived, so he wrote, right? It's simply this. It's, it's simple, but complex, sort of. The way that I become humble is by getting nearer to Jesus. Because the closer I get to Jesus, the more aware I become of my brokenness. The more aware I become of my neediness. And the more aware I become of my desperation. If you want to engage humility and grow in humility, then give yourself to finding and pursuing and finding Jesus. Because when you see utmost perfection and holiness, you all of a sudden become aware that everything that you can do in your own strength is worthless. Peter, remember, Jesus says, hey, why don't you come on the mountain with me? They call it the Mount of Transfiguration. And in the moment, all of a sudden, 
the, re, the skin, the fleshly skin of Jesus is peeled back and Peter falls on his face and says, oh, I shouldn't be here. I'm so dirty. I'm so dirty. I'm so dirty. I'm so dirty. I'm so dirty because you're so holy. When we get to Jesus and we see him, humility is a byproduct because we all of a sudden recognize very clearly that we are nothing compared to his greatness. That's why I stood in my dream saying, I can't believe this is happening through me. I'm nothing. But I stand in humility of recognizing it so God can move. If we want to see God do something at vintage, stop praying for power and begin engaging humility because power will have to come after that because he pours himself out upon the humble. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we step into this moment. And God, I would believe it's, just a, it's a holy moment. It's a moment of some level of response. Lord, either we inside we're wrestling, saying, I'm just not even sure I believe in that power anymore. Or maybe, God, it's just this part of, wow, when I realize I've, I've been seeking after power for my own selfish gain without actually recognizing that humility is the thing that you need most. Father, we come to this, come this morning saying, God, we're, we're just ready to see you move. And, God, if it takes humility, then kill our flesh. Whatever you have to do, God, we just want to see you move. Father, we come this morning. We just want to be honest with you, Jesus, and say we do want to see your power released at Vintage. We want, to, we want our lives to be models for other people of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in the way that we love well, in the way that we, we pray well, in the way that we engage people, Lord, and, and bring freedom as we allow you to be a, we are a conduit for your spirit. God, we want to see you move here. But, Father, we come this morning and just speak in humility, recognizing that what you're actually looking for are those who are humble and who, like Peter, will simply reflect back Jesus to everyone who looks at us, saying, it's not about me. It has nothing to do with me. It never has had anything to do with me, ever. It's ultimately Jesus. This morning, Lord, we come and say, Jesus, do your work in us, God, to bring us to our knees, Lord. As we come to be with you, Jesus, in the next week and spend time with you, God, would you reveal yourself in such a way that it draws us to our knees to cry out, we are undone. I'm a man, a woman of unclean lips. Jesus, reveal yourself this morning. Father, this morning I pray for those who have never even entered into a relationship with you this morning. Father, I pray this morning that you would woo them, that they would respond to your call, and that, Lord, you would save them. Lord, I pray for those this morning who are intentionally and willfully being disobedient and they know it. That God, they're a living, separated and opposed, Lord, to either what they grew up in or what their heart and their spirit is telling them. God, I pray this morning that you would come with the, out of your love and convict them and throw them to their knees. Because God, they're going to die miserably 
if they disobey you. Jesus, come and do your work. Father, we love you. We thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.